good to have you with us on this beautiful fall morning. And we are continuing our study of the parables of Jesus. And if you've been with us, you know that parables were a special uh, type of teaching. Jesus often employed to teach about the kingdom of God through the use of stories. We're going to be looking today at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. We will celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, communion. And so um, that will take place after the message. And as is our custom when we have communion, we have built in a little time so that if you would like to come to one of our prayer tables in the back or one of these rows in the front, we will have deacons, elders, prayer leaders here to pray with you and for you about any need uh, that you might have. Again this morning, we're in the Gospel of Luke chapter 14 where Jesus told parables at a, a dinner gathering. And uh, I'd like to look at the whole group of parables he told this morning. We might think of this chapter as a Sabbath day in the life of Jesus. As you see in the words on the screen, the chapter begins with Jesus being invited to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. Just a side note here, as you read through the Gospels about Jesus and the, the teachings he did, the miracles, the healings he did, it's notable that they often occur on a Sabbath day. And in the, uh, the, that, those settings on the Sabbath day, Jesus is often challenging the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a sect, a group within Judaism who strictly held to Old Testament law. They felt they were the experts in Old Testament law, yet they added to it hundreds of traditions of their own to enable them to better keep that law. And because of their legalism, they were often at odds with Jesus. And on this particular day, a ruler of the Pharisees has invited Jesus to dine in his home. And we read in Luke 14, uh, in verse 1, that they were watching him. That is, they were watching Jesus carefully. The Pharisees were often looking for ways to trip Jesus up. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Not exactly sure what dropsy was, but commentators say it was a disease in which fluids were collecting in bodily cavities that might make one's limbs look uh, swollen. But Jesus used the opportunity to heal this man to do a little teaching with these religious leaders. And so he responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, and lawyers were not like lawyers as we know them today. They were teachers of the law, teachers of the Old Testament law. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him, Jesus took the man, and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you, having a son or an ox that's fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. So Jesus starts out this dinner invitation by creating a little bit of tension in the room. They're already a bit on edge. They're watching him carefully to catch him in something he might say. Among the cultural and religious traditions that Jesus just upset, perhaps none was more significant uh, or upsetting to the Pharisees than things he did on the Sabbath day. Jesus would later teach that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. 
he would say the Son of Man, referring to himself, is Lord over the Sabbath. And that angered them a lot. But that's not the end of the challenges Jesus gave them on this particular Sabbath day at this particular dinner. We now see some parables Jesus gives at the dinner. The first one is sometimes called the parable of the wedding feast. And it teaches that in the kingdom of God, the humble are exalted. It was customary in the time of Jesus at a wedding feast for seats to be ranged uh, in a horseshoe shape. Commentator Simon Kistemaker says, typically at the top of the horseshoe would be the most honored position. The host along with others would be seated there. But then dining couches would be arranged along the sides of the horseshoe in this particular order based on honor. In his commentary on the parables, Kistemaker also says, dining couches typically held three people and the most honored seat on a dining couch was the middle. Well, it's not quite that way today, is it? If you're like me, when you take a flight on an airplane, the last seat you want is the middle seat. But in their time, the, on the dining couch, the middle seat was the honored seat. And here's what happens at the dinner to which Jesus has been invited. Now, he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and you, then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you think there was a little bit of discomfort in the room at this particular dinner to which Jesus has been invited? I imagine the host is saying, why did I invite this man to dinner after the Sabbath worship service? There is a tremendous kingdom principle that Jesus is teaching here. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus taught this elsewhere in the Gospels, and it is an extremely important principle of the kingdom of God. Perhaps what's most important to know about it, however, is that Jesus himself exemplified the principle in his own life to the degree that no one else ever could or would. In the book of Philippians, chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is teaching Christians to put the interest of others before their own. And he says, have this attitude, this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Jesus left the glory of heaven 
He humbled himself further by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross, and now his is the name above all names. It is a great principle for you and I to live by. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now that Jesus has made everybody in the room very uncomfortable, and the host is wondering why he invited this man to dinner, Jesus turns his attention to the host. And he does a little teaching, which uh, some would consider a parable about the dinner, to make the point that all are welcome in the kingdom of God, and that generosity with right motives will be rewarded on the day of judgment. And he speaks directly to the host now, and he, well, you read it in Luke 14 and verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, for they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just." Jesus is here establishing another principle of his kingdom, and that is that people of his kingdom show particular compassion for the needy, for the poor, for the afflicted, for those who can't pay you back. I don't think Jesus is saying here, it's always bad to invite your friends over for dinner. Hospitality in the New Testament is regarded as a very good virtue. In fact, when you read the qualifications for church leadership in the New Testament, like the, the qualifications for elder, one of the qualifications is given to hospitality. Hospitality is often spoken of in the New Testament. It's not a bad thing. But what Jesus is addressing here is a type, type of self-centered hospitality for the purpose of social advancement especially while disregarding the socially undesirable. And Jesus is forever pointing his followers to the need to be concerned about those who might be thought a little more socially undesirable because of their great need, because they can't reimburse you, they can't pay you back. I just have to say, I am so grateful to be able to serve with many of you who really live this principle out, I think, well. Because I can look around the room and know that many of you are involved in ministry to the incarcerated, to those who are, are suffering, struggling with addictions, uh, those who are hungry, those who are in need of shoes or clothing. And uh, this is part of our vision for our church. If you go on our website and read our 2025 vision, it's our dream that 80% of us will be regularly involved in some type of ministry in our community to the underprivileged, to the needy, to the poor. We're seeing it happen, but we have a long way to go, I think, to get to, to 80%. But I'm very grateful that so many of you are living this out already. Well... Jesus is now, I'm sure, offended the host. But he's not finished yet at this Sabbath day dinner. Third, we see the parable that's sometimes known as the parable of the great banquet, stressing the point that in the entry into the kingdom of God calls for faith in Jesus 
And that faith is expressed by the willingness to forsake all to follow him. When one of those reclined at table with Jesus, with him, heard these things, he said, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So while I'm sure many were offended, here was one person who at least wanted to show that he had interest in the kingdom of God. So Jesus now directs his words to him and says, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant, saying to those who'd been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Those words, come, for everything is now ready, remind us of some of Jesus' very first words when he began to publicly preach. He said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Come, everything is now ready. You've heard this presented by the prophets. The time is at hand. Believe the gospel. Jesus continues the parable. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Let me just pause for a moment to say, don't those seem like bad excuses who buys a field without first going out to see it? Who buys five yoke of oxen without first going to examine them? I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Well, maybe that's a better excuse if you've just <laughs> been married for a very short time. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and blind and lame. What's Jesus saying in a not-so-subtle way to these religious Pharisees at the, at the dinner? The kingdom of God has been proclaimed to you, the Jewish people, leaders of the Jews. And you're not accepting the invitation. And so the message of the kingdom of God is going out to the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. The Bible says of Jesus that the common people heard him gladly. He continues, and the servant said in his parable, Sir, what you've commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. This is the great mission's mandate of the gospel, to take the message of Jesus, the invitation to come into the kingdom of God, to take it to all people everywhere, all the nations of the world. Jesus is reminding these religious leaders that they had been resisting the invitation to enter the kingdom of God. And now that invitation was going everywhere. Before uh, Jesus would ascend into heaven after his resurrection, he would say to his followers, go into all the nations of the world, make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Go out and compel them to come in to the kingdom of God that my house may be filled. So we end the teaching of Jesus at this uh, particular dinner. But before we recap his points 
that are emphasized here. I want to read the next section in the Gospel of Luke. I think it's in the Gospel of Luke following these parables for a reason. Jesus has left the dinner now. In Luke 14, verse 25, we read that great crowds were accompanying him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Let me pause for a moment and say Bible commentators call this an idiom of preference. That is, Jesus is not literally saying to hate your parents. That would contradict a great deal of scripture that talks about honoring your father and your mother. But Jesus is saying devotion to me. If you want to be my disciple, if you want to be my follower, I've got to be first. It's a statement kind of like the Apostle Paul uses in the book of Romans where he quotes God as saying, Jacob, ha- Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Doesn't mean God hated Esau. God blessed Esau richly, but he chose Jacob. He chose to work through uh, the son of Isaac, Jacob, to bring about the gospel the coming of Jesus into the world through his descendants. Likewise, Jesus is saying, yes, you've got to be willing to forsake if your family rejects you to follow me. He goes on to say, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it, Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish it. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to beat him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple." Wow, Jesus is not twisting arms to get people to follow him, is he? What does he mean by this? You've got to choose me first. You should count the cost before becoming my follower. You've got to renounce anything that keeps you from following me. What's he saying? Let me, let me stress what he is not saying. He is not saying... You have to clean up your life, rid your life of all sin in your own strength before you can follow me. That would completely contradict the message that we call the gospel. That Jesus Christ shed his blood and died on the cross. He humbled himself to that degree to bear our judgment, to pay for our sin, to take upon himself our penalty so that through our faith in him, we could be called righteous, forgiven, accepted by God, adopted into his family. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. Jesus is not saying, make sure you've, you've gotten rid of every sin before you can even think about following me. No, here's what he's saying. He's saying, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you can't bring your idols along with you. Jesus does not share his throne with any idols. He's simply saying that we must come to him with the willingness 
to leave behind those things that would keep us from following him, from being his followers. And in the context of Luke chapter 14, we should remember that disciples, followers of Jesus, are going to be called to live by certain values. Values of the kingdom of God. What are they? Well, the first one we saw in his teaching in this chapter is humility. The teaching of Jesus is that we never live self first, but always God first, others first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And there may be many of us here this morning who say, well, I don't do that as I should. Join the crowd. I would have to say the same thing. Spiritual growth is a lifelong process of coming to know God better and love him more. Do I always love my neighbors myself? I don't. I recognize that often I don't. I'm growing in that way. But this is a kingdom value. This is something God's drawing us toward. This is what he's teaching us. He's bringing us to greater humility, preferring others before ourselves. Secondly, care for the needy. Generosity with right motives. We don't use hospitality for our own social advancement. We show hospitality out of love for people, love for God. We love and care for all people, including and especially even the needy. And then finally, faith that is trust in and devotion to Jesus. And that faith in the teaching of this parable is expressed with the willingness to forsake what we need to forsake in order to follow him. Sometimes when you're faced with the decision whether to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, some people come to that decision recognizing that there is a great big idol in their lives. And they recognize, i got to lay it down if I'm going to follow this one called Jesus. I think of the man in the Gospel of Luke who, who said he wanted to follow Jesus. And the Bible says Jesus looked at him and loved him, but Jesus saw he had a great big idol in his life. And it was his wealth. And Jesus told him to lay it aside and invited him to follow him, but the man could not, would not. For others, it may be a, a wrong relationship. Maybe a person who's, who's living a lie, who's living in adultery, is confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you know that if you place your faith in him and call him Lord, that God is indeed going to call you to lay that aside, to bring it into, into the light, to repent. One of the first words Jesus spoke was to repent. Repent, the time is at hand. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Values of the kingdom. Faith in him. Trust in him. May God help us to live as people who are growing to know him better and love him more and demonstrate the values of his kingdom. Let's pray about that this morning. Father, We come in the name of our Lord Jesus. I pray for the work of your Holy Spirit in this room. Father, these are challenging things um, for
for me to teach. And if I have taught any part of this wrongly, I ask that you would overrule that and let your truth be known in the hearts and lives of your people. I pray, Father, for any here who does not truly know you yet, but who has come to the realization that they need to turn and place faith in Jesus and follow him faithfully. I ask that this morning you give them the grace to lay aside anything you've brought to their attention that needs to be laid aside and to say, Lord, I believe that you died on the cross for me and I now bow the knee to you and submit my life to you. Would you be my Lord? Would you be my Savior this day? Father, others of us here, we know that we are your children. We've embraced your salvation. Would you continue to build in us by the power of the Holy Spirit a commitment to living by kingdom values? Would you work within us a greater humility? Would you open our eyes to see the needs of the world around us? Would you keep us from seeking our own advancement in life and make us people who show your generosity to the poor, the afflicted, the needy? And would you empower us to follow you faithfully? And we ask these things in your great name. Amen.